electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. So welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Is it time to go big by going small? The Russell 2000 dramatically outperforming this month. So is that now the best play for your money? We debate that with our investment committee today. And joining me for the hour are Josh Brown, John Najarian, Shannon Sakosha is the chief investment officer at Boston Private Wealth. And Jethro Townsend's back with us, the chief investment officer at Ad End Capital. We begin a check on the markets. Dow coming off its best day since July. Was building on those gains, now barely holding on to them because of this news out of Washington, this deadlock still, Josh, on stimulus. We know the economy needs more stimulus. Certainly pockets of it do. Does the stock market, though, what happens if it doesn't happen? I'm not sure if the stock market is pricing it in uh, happening right now. I, I mean, there's no scoreboard that I can tell you definitively it's, it's being priced in, but uh, I don't think it's in there. So if you do get something, I think it'll be good for sentiment, and I think it'll, it'll uh, probably lead to new highs. But if you don't, I'm not sure it'll be as big of a disappointment as maybe I would have thought uh, a month ago. But I think big picture, a lot of what's been working for the last six months continues to work. I'm focused on the XHB, ITB, been talking about the housing stocks all year. Um, Lowe's in particular in that index, LOW, looks primed for a mega breakout. It's about to take out previous resistance. Put that one on your radar. Uh, and then there's some leadership from energy, energy today, which is kind of weird. We were looking at some of these names and uh, Exxon could double from where it's trading right now and still be negative on the year. That's how beaten up this sector is, and so that's a big mover today. I don't think that these things are happening based on stimulus. Um, the one stock that might be, I wanna point out, Discover uh, Financial, this is the Discover card. Uh, it's probably the best bellwether for what we're thinking about in terms of the consumer. Stock's up 100% over the last six months. Uh, it's just absolutely ripping, and I think when you see activity in Discover, which has some of the lowest uh, credit quality versus, let's say, American Express, I think that's a good indicator that markets are not terribly concerned that there's going to be a substantial downturn in, in consumer. Um, so th that's what I'm looking at. Yeah. Shan, how do, how do you play this? How do you judge what's happening in Washington with stimulus and what it means to the, to the stock market? I mean, you certainly see the gyrations today alone. You know, a headline here, headline there, market up, market down. Played into some of the volatility that we saw in September, honestly, Scott. So I think some of this, to Josh's point, I, I feel like coming out of the end of July and into the middle of August, I do think that we were starting to price in or have had expectations of an additional stimulus package. And I think after the death of um, Justice Ginsburg and the additional contentiousness around the debates, I think that there has been some lost euphoria as it relates to the stimulus. I do want to point out, however, that I'm a bit more concerned about this K-shaped recovery. Um, and I know that that won't necessarily translate to the stock market in the very near term. 
But I'm concerned about the overall level of consumer activity, given the fact that we have a much lower participation rate than we had previous to COVID. And so if we look at the consumer, I think we're getting two classes of consumer activity right now. And without the stimulus, I think that that continues to diverge. And so I think that that can play into some of the retail exposure that you might have in your portfolio, but also as it relates to consumer confidence and sentiment as we move forward through the end of the quarter. I mean, you're saying K-shaped recovery. Joe Lavornia from the White House Economic Office was on. They're maintaining, the White House is, that you have a V-shaped recovery, a, in their words, self-sustaining V-shaped recovery, Shan. So I don't know if, you know, that takes some of the urgency, at least from the White House's perspective. Certainly maybe some Republicans in the Senate, as Jim Cramer has been talking about, don't seem to be feeling a sense of urgency because there's a wide swath in Washington, at least within the party of the Republican Party, that believes we're having a V-shaped recovery. Well, I think it's the people that have a voice and the people that are vocal um, and the people that are outspending in in large uh, on mass. I mean, you look at the holiday shopping season, if you look at the, you know, different um, demographic groups, you know, they're the wealthier individuals in our economy are going to be spending more this year because they haven't been spending any money on vacations or other discretionary spend. I still think that there's going to be a, a come to Jesus moment, really for you know, the working class Americans who were relying on stimulus, expanded unemployment benefits. And you and I both know, Scott, that a lot of these small businesses are not coming back. And we're gonna to continue to see more closures as we go through the end of the year. And so I think that Washington should start paying more attention to working class Americans because this is going to continue to be an issue for household income at large. Yeah, we know how much pain is out there for certain. Good point that you make. It's certainly, um, it's certainly a res one that resonates too. Uh, Jethro, good to see you again. So how are you playing this market? Uh, are you, do you care about stimulus at all? Should the market care about it at all? Uh, yeah, we think the market um, should certainly care about stimulus. I mean, that's played a, a role uh, in, on the consumption side as far as as consumers, which has been kind of, you know, one of the key factors driving the economy. So, yeah, it is a factor that we do care about. Yeah, what if we don't get it then? What, what does it mean for stocks? I mean, we're, we're already sort of ex expecting a level of volatility to increase as you get closer and closer to the election. If there is no more stimulus at all, the airlines get nothing, the American people get nothing, small businesses get nothing. What does the stock market do? I mean, I mean, I mean, time will tell. I mean, we'd certainly think, you know, that there will be some sort of negative impact there. I mean, just, we just take the words um, from you know Chairman Powell himself, which has sort of been pounding the table uh, for fiscal as well as monetary measures. So you know certainly if the Fed is concerned, uh, then we would be concerned as well. Uh, you talked about the increased volatility. I mean that's something that we also you also have to take into consideration. Uh, obviously the VIX futures curve is already there in the, in the 30s, um, but there's also a possibility that you know we may not get the type of ball that we're expecting, which means you know you've got to be positioned. Like things might be more calmer uh, than we expect or. It could be much more volatile than we expect as well. John, the, the premise we laid out at the top of the program was, should you go big by going small? A play on the move that we've seen lately in the small caps, which have outperformed month to date and wildly so. The Russell 2000 is up 8%. The S&P mid-cap 400 is up 7%. Dow, NASDAQ, S&P all have a gain of 2%. So there is a pocket of the market that is banking on a pickup in the economy. Small caps are starting to do better. There are many names within that that I can get to in just a second. But how about the idea now that it's time to get away from some of those bigger stocks and really focus on small and mid cap stocks? 
Um, I don't think you need to get away from those big cap stocks, Scott. I think as long as you keep trimming some of the gains in some of those, which I know a lot of the guests on this program have said that they have been doing, many of the panelists have done the same. Um, I think as long as you're taking some of that money off the table and then putting some of that money into the Semex trade, um, into Vale, into Freeport, into many of those kinds of stocks, infrastructure play, if you want to call it that, Scott, um, those are where I'm focused right now. Uh, in particular, but I'm not like liquidating shares in the tech sector so that I can do that. I'm taking a little off the table in those and those little bits that I'm taking off because of the outperformance of that gives you an awful lot to push into these others. And just to throw one more thing out, Scott, the 100,000 jobs that the Washington Post said we lost forever by May, I think we really risk another 200,000 jobs not just jobs, I'm sorry, businesses, Scott. I meant to say businesses, not jobs. Well, well there are a lot That's more, right? And huge. jobs come with those lost businesses. So your point, you're making the same point. I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. Exactly. And that's why I really don't know what Speaker Pelosi and Leader McConnell and or Mnuchin or the president are thinking, because this is going to make a scar on America. This will be just like Lehman, Scott, a huge mistake if we don't address it now and instead we let Lehman fail and then you have all the other things that come from that. I think the same is true right now if they don't do a stimulus. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people share your view, um, John. They, they do. So you guys remember the interview we had? We had a couple of interviews last week where small mid-cap stocks were sort of the, the central focus of the strategy from two of our guests. Chris Toomey from Morgan Stanley uh, Private Wealth was on, and he mentioned it. And then Shi Chow of UBS Private Wealth, uh, UBS Wealth Management, Managing Director. Here's what she said about what she thinks is going to happen in the market, and then we can talk about more strategy from there. There's going to be a rotation from the large caps to eventually the small and mid caps. I mean, mid caps certainly have lagged because of all the just because the economy has done better with with the large large tech stocks but you know as the economy starts to rebound and starts to recover from covid and hopefully with a successful vaccine in the first half of next year mid caps and small caps are going to come out ahead okay so josh that's the view of xi chow of of ubs and by the way jp morgan is out with a, a note today where where marco kalanovich is one of the authors of it uh, well known for having, you know, the ability to, to move markets in the past, certainly with some of his forecasts and his commentary. They say buy Russell 2000 value. He said uh, buy the Russell 2000 value versus the Russell 2000 growth. We feel compelled to turn overweight for the following reasons. Valuation dispersion near record highs at levels not seen since the tech bubble. The stocks commanding such multiples are those with the highest consensus expectations of EPS growth. One of the most consistent contrarian indicators of 12-month forward performance. Do you feel like we're going to get more of a wave towards this area of the market? Well, it's, it's always possible, and I would say historically, the data is very clear. Small cap leads large cap coming out of recession. Uh, and so the early stages of recovery, historically, small cap has been the best bet. And if you get um, outperformance by small cap value, well, that's very good news because the only way that happens is because it's a true recovery. 
and because the yield curve is steepening and because there's demand coming back for things like energy and industrial. So I hope that's the case. Unfortunately, we can, we can data mine and we can cherry pick these small periods of time during which the Russell is outperforming the S&P 500. We could say it's leading this month or it's been leading over the last 48 hours. But it's really been a tough overweight for a very long time. And it won't be obvious that that's changed until a long time goes by where that trend sticks. So, so far, we've just had um, episode after episode after episode where people get really excited about this valuation disparity. They plunge into that overweight and it ends up disappointing them. And one time it won't, but it's very hard to know in advance when you're in that time. So I guess my, my answer would be a, a, a truly diversified portfolio always has small cap exposure, always has value exposure. Um, but playing that game as to, okay, this is the time to really turn it up and overweight, uh, for 10 years people have, have uh, been hoping that would be the case, and it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I hear you. So I don't know that this is the time. Shan, though, you have some nice, you have some nice gains. I mean, small mid-cap winners month-to-date, IDT Corp up 67% month-to-date, SunPower 43%, Bed Bath Beyond 40 GoPro 37 Cody, Weight Watchers, Hibbit Sports, Goodyear Tire, First Solar, Cleveland Cliffs, Harley, Josh's Shake Shack, you've got U.S. Steel, and Kohl's. You've got some nice gains in that area. Uh, you have a lot of stocks that haven't done as well either, to be fair. Um, I couldn't agree with Josh Moore. First and foremost, uh, we always have small cap in our globally diversified portfolios. Really hard to time. Second of all, I think this recession, if you look back historically, obviously there are several points in time you can cite um, where you see small caps leading out of a recession. This was a different type of recession. Um, this was not an, a, a recession borne by economic excesses. This is not a recession where we saw a significant washout. Um, that was an extended period of time that people are buying back into risk. People have already bought back into risk. And so I'm a little bit more hesitant on the small cap trade. I agree 100% that once we have a sustainable economic rebound, this is going to be where you want to be. And adding an incremental position ahead of that over the course of the next couple of months is probably makes sense if you don't already have that in your portfolio. But this massive rotation that people are talking about that needs to happen, I agree with John. There's no reason to do that. Start adding here and there. Start adding some positioning. Add a broad index because there's a lot of losers in that universe as well. John. On this same JP Morgan note uh, wants you to keep adding to stocks um, more so outside the U.S. than in, which is interesting. They have upped their equity allocation to 8% from 6%. They say it's an opportunity now to take advantage of a better entry point that the correction we saw in September caused, but they favor non-U.S. equities, in particular Japan and emerging market equities. We haven't talked about either in quite some time. Is now the time to start looking outside the U.S.? I, I guess it's always a time, Scott, to, to look outside the U.S. But I, I actually put very little uh, of our invested capital outside the United States. I just I, I treasure the uh, liquidity that we have here, Scott. I think that we are going to get a big infrastructure spend under any administration. And I think that uh, you know, you and I talked just two days ago about the massive buys in the IWM in that small cap space. I think that continues. And if Josh and uh, the group are right about 
what exactly that means going forward. I think small caps will continue to do well, and I think they will do much better than European equities, which still, quite frankly, and I know you said emerging markets, not just Europe, but uh, Europe in particular still has Brexit it's got to wrestle with, Scott. So I think even though that's not the end of the world for those guys, that's something that holds it back. The euro to the dollar has basically been locked at about 117. And I think that's locked there because Europe hasn't been able to get around the rest of Brexit yet. Yeah. It still feels too, Josh, like there's so much uncertainty ahead hey, of the election. Judge, that this, this is part of that too. There's always going to be a next election. There's always going to be uncertainty. The all country world index XUS ETF, which is uh, ACWX. So this is an iShares uh, index. It's every stock market in its right market cap proportion, including EM, uh, is in there. Uh, but everything except for the United States. It's up 4% in the last three years. The U.S. The S&P 500 is up 45%. It's a 10x return in U.S. stocks versus basically a flat return um, for the rest of the world. Uh, this year, China is substantially outperforming the United States. I don't think a lot of people even know that. China's, uh, MSCI China is up like 15%. Versus the S&P up 4%. Well, it has a lot to do with the pace of their recovery versus ours. Well, the yuan is, uh, if you read Ray Dalio this week, the yuan is, not, is nothing to laugh at. Um, so so what, what ends up happening, the, the way you get overseas stock performance is, is traditionally, uh, it coincides with currency weakness or strength uh, in the dollar. So if you look at the last... A period of time where, let's say, uh, overseas stocks beat the U.S. Um, for an appreciable period of time, it's the lost decade. From 2000 to 2009, you made zero money in the S&P 500. None. Flat. Uh, factor in inflation, and it was worse. But you made money in Europe, and you made, money, you made big money in emerging markets. And that period coincided with a weak dollar. So uh, I, I think you have these regimes in overseas stock outperformance. It's not about what happened this month, what happened for this six-month period. When these trends do get started, they tend to persist for periods of three years, six years, 10 years. And that's why you've got to have uh, exposure to those overseas markets because you're not going to know that you needed it until we're already deep into a period like that. So you look overseas, you find compelling valuations, you find high dividends, you find company, uh, countries with growing technology sectors, uh, and China is a great example of that, but also Latin America. So there are going to be fortunes made by people who have diversified portfolios the next time there's a stretch where the U.S. market doesn't do much. But you have to be there in advance. I mean, look, you say there's always elections, always uncertainty. Uh, I, I hear you. Uh, however, this one has the possibility of being a doozy. And part of the J.P. Morgan, except that we all expect it, except that we all expect it, Scott, go find someone that doesn't think this will be a contested election. Hey, I you don't can't. know. I mean, this week, so, this week, this week, the market was moving up and there were notes coming out on Wall Street that were saying now there's a less likelihood for a contested election because as Biden was expanding his lead in many of the polls, if, if they are to, to be believed, and they do turn out that way, do you, do you, that the market's, the market's getting its arms around that, that issue. Do you know what Wall Street does better than, any, does better than anything? Make bad it's predictions? It's really, really good. <laughs> no, no. It's really good at explaining what just happened. 
That's that's Wall Street's that's Wall Street's number one export to the world is explanations of what just happened the day before. They're great at it. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, look, the election is 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 coming and you, you're going to have to position yourself ahead of it. How you think the outcome is is going to turn out, Jethro. There, there's no other alternative. Either Trump gets another four years. Biden's elected. The other variable is the a potential blue wave, which is now being factored into forecasts as well. That has broad implications for future stock performance. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, to some extent that's true. Um, you have the options, right? I mean, certainly you can choose to take more of a directional sort of positional bet uh, into the elections. Uh, actually, what we've chosen to do is, is go a bit more with a neutral stance. I mean, we, we had been net long in our portfolio. Uh, now we've kind of moved more towards uh, a net neutral position, uh, which makes, makes us a little bit more agnostic in terms of how the election turns out. I mean, we see it as more of a, uh, you know, it's going to be a tactical uh, sort of play. Uh, there's going to be a lot of, you know, cacophony of babble on, on many different sides. Uh, but the idea is to basically, you know, sift through the noise and find the companies that are going to exhibit uh, some decent earnings power through the economic cycle. So, John Nigerian, speaking of, of earnings mm -hmm. power and the companies that are doing well, same store sales from Costco up 15.5%. That beat an estimate of 9.2%. Domino's had really good comps, too. Now, the stock's getting hit real hard today. It's the worst day since March because of some commodity and, and margin pressures. Commodity prices are certainly up there. Uh, hurting cheese prices, things like that. McDonald's, U.S. same-store sales up 4.6. Kramer this morning, I'd buy all three. What say you? Well, yeah, I'd buy all three, and I'd buy BJ's, and I'd buy um, uh, Walmart with the Sam's Club uh, and their expansion to compete against uh, Amazon, Scott, with their Amazon Prime uh, Walmart has been absolutely killing it. Their target, you already know my love for that and what they've done with Shipped. So I, I think this is, uh, as Jim said, an opportunity in the dominoes play because of those costs that caused them to miss on the profit side of that, uh, of the ledger. But I think overall, these will continue to do very well, um, mostly because they have really... Uh, eliminated a lot of the competition by the way that they play the game now, in particular, Walmart, Target, and Amazon. I mean, they've really crushed it. Now, Costco is not really a delivery play the way those others are, but my gosh, those other three are just crushing it. And I think that continues, Scott, as well as some of the can flow I th can that I throw you get one into name out there? the... Uh Go ahead. So, so similar to what John is talking about, um, here's a small cap and a retailer. You will never hear me talk about a small cap and a retailer again after this, probably. <laughs> but Gap Stores, um, from a technical standpoint, I'll get into the fundamentals in a second. This stock, I don't own it yet. I may soon. This stock is snapping a downtrend that dates back to 2014. It's not an uptrend, but it's starting to be. And snapping that downtrend is the first step. Um, had a golden cross in the stock. The 50-day is now sloping positively and above the 200-day. What's going on here? They put a new CEO in in March, literally the day the pandemic started. That was her first day. 
but she is the woman that built Old Navy, added a billion in sales to Old Navy while she was running it. And they almost spun Old Navy off. The pandemic happens. They said, you know what? Let's put Sonia in charge of the whole company. She's been running this thing. The stock is starting to move higher. And they have done a very good job now, finally, in moving into digital. I was looking at Gap Stores versus Lululemon. You could not get a bigger tale of two cities than the way investors are valuing these two names. And probably the truth belongs somewhere in between if Gap can get its momentum back. Lulu is 82 times earnings, 11 times sales. Gap is 0.5 times sales. So from a fundamental base, you had an upgrade from Barclays yesterday. They put Gap as an overweight. Um, this is the type of small cap that I'm interested in where the technicals align with something changing in the fundamentals and a company really recognizing how big they could be on digital. Gap has 60 million um, monthly regular customers and they haven't even scratched the surface in terms of how to monetize that digitally. So these types of names can work um, and, and if you get that fundamental uh, improvement here, which Barclays is starting to see, the technicals are lined up for, for a big move. You, so you, I'm definitely looking at ideas like that in small cap. Yeah, stock's moving uh, as we're talking about it, too. Um, you also, Shannon, had Tapestry and Target getting positive notes today uh, out of Deutsche Bank. Uh, maybe it's the time to look at retail again. I was just going to say, I mean, to Josh's point, we've seen actually a lot of upgrades for apparel retailers over the last few weeks. And I think that's coincident with expectations for an, a you know, resumption of consumer spending going into the holiday season, uh, you know, maybe some pent up demand there. Uh, I think the tale of, of, of Target and Tapestry is obviously um, very different for those two. Uh, you know, I, I probably am a bit more skeptical about Tapestry's prospects. Um, I think that their brand portfolio faces greater headwinds. It's sort of uh, in the middle ground, and in, as I said, in a K-shaped recovery, you don't want to really be in the middle. Um, and that's, you know, that's my concern with that brand. Target, I think, is going to continue um, to trade with Walmart. Uh, there are, you know, is it part of your day-to-day -day, uh, shopping existence? Are you going to the middle of the store? What do their margins look like? I think that's going to continue to be the emphasis on Target is going to, is going to be SKU mix um, and where they're deriving their revenue. So um, for me, it's always a margin play with Target. Uh, and so I think this upgrade is probably appropriate. Uh, but I still think that that's going to be more of a trade for most investors over the course of the next couple of years. Let me ask you quickly before we bounce for a quick break. I'm looking at uh, Costco. Why is Costco not up more? Why is it up less than a half percent today? Barely, you know, dollar sixty or so. Comps up fifteen and a half versus nine. What's up with that? It, uh, very high expectations for the stock. I mean, they've executed seamlessly over the course of the last six months. They have a, a, an appropriate um, competitive positioning as far as store reopenings. Their renewal rates are 91%. Um, it's just, it's, it's poised for out for it's poised for perfection, I think, from an analyst perspective. I'm not saying that they could necessarily not continue to hit those numbers, but this has been an amazing period for this stock and this company, and they have executed very well. So I think that they're um, that the expectations are just very high. Yep. All right, we will take a quick break. As I said, we'll come back. We'll talk Tesla shares because they got a new street high target today. That stock has surged more than 400% this year. We debate it next in our call of the day. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back on the half right after this.
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Welcome back. Tesla got a new bullish vote of confidence today on Wall Street. New Street Research upgrading it to a buy price target. Now the highest on the street. It's 578. Doc, you still have calls here. They are talking about an addressable market in excess of 20 million units already, which they say is hyper growth ahead. Yeah, well, that's what I'm betting on, too, Scott. Um, This is one that you just haven't wanted to be on that bear side of. Or if you are, you don't want to be on it for longer than just moments in time because the V-shaped turns that this one has are incredible. Um, We had 40,000 calls at one strike last week, Scott, when when I think I spoke about it on the halftime report, and the thing screamed higher. Now, yesterday... They were buying the 420 strike. That was with the stock at 414. It's already boomed through 431 today. So I think this is one that you can certainly follow the fast money in here. And when that fast money lightens up, that's when you should lighten up. But right now, it's just a question of uh, all of these bullish outlooks. They just keep coming, Scott. And the volume on the stock and the derivative side is incredible. Just to be clear, I mean, you already owned Tesla calls. You bought more yesterday, right? The October 420s, October 430s, November 450. That's correct, Scott. And like I say, you look at the open interest. Open interest is one way we judge, you know, how many options are out there open that people have purchased. That obviously means there was a seller too, but when, when you're looking at that opening of new positions, higher and higher and higher strikes, I mean, again, this, this stock is, I'm not saying unstoppable, and I've already made my case for you want to be disciplined and take money off the table. I have been rolling up from the 410s to the 420s to the 430s, and as you say, out there into the 450s now in November. I think all of them uh, continue to work as long as you're just disciplined and pull some money off the table when you get big moves like today. Yeah. Go easy on the 420s, Doc, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, yeah, the 420s. That's one of Elon's favorites too, yeah. Scott, for obvious reasons. They, um, th- look, this, <laughs> this firm, which goes street-high price target, is, is also modeling out well into the future, which is always um, it's dangerous to do, uh, obviously. But they're looking... earnings per share in 2026. They say $1,200 stock price at the end of 2025. I know it's it's easy to make fun of that, but the fact of the matter is they put it on paper. Jethro, you used to own this stock and you don't anymore. Uh, Right. We we had owned it. Uh, It worked very well for us. Um, We had, you know, great performance from Tesla, but we decided to, uh, you know, pull back and, and take the chips off the table, if you will. I mean, obviously, at the time we bought it, we recognized that Tesla was, you know, more than just an automobile company, right? It's, it's geared to, you know, solar, uh, clean energy, uh, which are some of some of the more longer-term thematic areas within tech. But 
uh, it got a little pricey for us, and we just took, took the chips off the table. Yeah. The, the last point I'll make is that uh, Phil LeBeau is, is emailing to give us some perspective, too. Uh, nobody knows it better than Phil. Um, that every industry veteran that, that you know, he, he talks to thinks it's, quote, lunacy to believe that Tesla can ever hit 20 million. Uh, they point out, says Phil, that most vehicles ever sold by an automaker in one year is 10.5 to 11 million. Toyota and Volkswagen both got to that level a few years ago. So it, it is good to put it into perspective like Phil does for us, Shan, when looking at these forecasts, which I know we're, we're sort of chuckling about, uh, the numbers are big and they do go far out. Well, I, I think that total addressable market is, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, a blessing and a curse in some ways. I mean, obviously, there's a huge total addressable market for, for automobiles. Um, but, you know, there, there remains a lot of skeptics as it relates to electric vehicles. Um, the ability of Tesla to share their intellectual property and monetize it across other industries, I, you know, that's still nascent. And so for, for us, this has always been a, a tough stock to be in. We haven't bought the stock. We're, on, we're not in it now. Um, but, you know, certainly we want to see um, sustainability and a plan to get to not only those vehicle numbers, but also to monetize all of this great intellectual property that Tesla is demanding as it relates to this valuation. Yeah. All right. We, uh, we'll take a quick break. Come back. We have John's latest unusual activity trades. I got three of them on my list. You want to stay tuned for that. Let's show you the S&P sectors. Energy, another good day for energy. As Josh was uh, mentioning, OPEC with some perhaps positive comments today on the space. S&P's up 23. That's two-thirds of a percent. We're back in two. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. The FBI has arrested six people tied to a plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Multiple reports say members of the group reached out to a Michigan militia. NBC News reports court documents show Governor Whitmer was not in imminent danger. She will deliver prepared remarks a bit later this afternoon. 
The Trump campaign says it agrees with a proposal by Joe Biden's campaign to push an in-person debate to October 22nd. This after President Trump said he would not participate in a virtual debate next Thursday. In Italy, people are waiting for hours to get tested for COVID-19. Despite the long lines, Italy reported nearly 4,500 new cases today. That is the highest daily total since mid-April. And in Paris, hospitals are activating emergency measures to cope with surging numbers of COVID-19 patients. Today, France reported more than 18,000 new cases, and that's down just slightly from Wednesday's all-time record. French officials are expected to announce new safety measures a bit later today. You are up to date, Scott. I'll send it back to you. Appreciate it, Sue. Thank you. Lyft shares, they're down more than 35% this year. Options traders, though, betting on a turnaround. Doc, what are you seeing there? Get a nice day today, and you've got three on your list today. Yeah, I'll make them quick, Scott. You're right. Lyft, uh, perhaps uh, a little bit of uh, optimism finally in this one. November 30 calls, Scott. Uh, they're buying these actively. That would be, of course, carry them through the election, in particular that election out in California where the on the ballot is something for Lyft and Uber, and they've been spending a lot of money there. They're buying the Nov 30s there, Scott, with the stock at 27 and change. I bought those as well. Second trade, Taiwan Semi. Both of these I added to both Taiwan Semi and uh, Lyft. Taiwan Semi, it's the 95 calls all the way out in April, Scott, with the stock at 87.50. So they're giving it time, but they're thinking it's got a lot of upside. I liked that one. I added to my Taiwan Semi trade as well. Lastly, ExxonMobil. Josh talked about it top of the show. He could be right. People are betting pretty big that in the short term, November 6th, so this one carries through our election as well, just to November 6th, they are buying the upside 3550 calls, big numbers, Scott. I joined them. I bought there. It's the first time I've been back in energy for a while. Let's see how it works. All right. Good stuff. Thank you for that, Doc. Coming up, our experts are ready you, to sir. answer your questions on Ask Halftime. Send yours in. You can do it by video, too. We'll play it on the air. Email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. We're back right after this. The traders are answering your questions now, and we begin with a video question from California. Hi, Halftime. Hi, Scott. This is John Hoffpower from sunny San Diego, and I have a question for John Nigerian. Uh, V-A-L-E. Uh, I own it, and should I keep it, or should I add to it? Thanks. All right, good question. Doc, what do you tell John about Valet? Well, uh obviously ferrous minerals as well as base metals and so forth and it's the base metals that really get people excited right now john the reason for that is of course tesla's saying hey will you go out and get us a whole bunch of nickel that we need for these batteries in our evs that's big it's helping move the stock up i like vale i like uh vulcan materials i like semex i think a lot of these scott just like top of the show play out very well on the infrastructure side as well as like i say increased demand from ev and it's not just tesla it's all the ev makers right now all right good stuff thanks uh john for the question thanks john for the answer Thank uh you. josh to you abby in florida verizon is it a great 5g play 
Um, it depends on what you're looking for. I think they will benefit from 5G. There's a lot of services that can be layered onto existing plans, and there will be a lot of excitement for the new phones. Uh, it's not going to give you like a, a high beta return. For that, you probably want to look at some of the chip companies uh, that are more involved. But I'm in Verizon. I never sell it. I use the dividends to reinvest and buy more shares. Company's been able to grow its dividend every year for the last 17 years. And on a total return basis, this is way better than being in bonds. So I'm willing to accept equity volatility for this high dividend yield. And if the, the stock price goes up because of 5G, it's almost like a cherry on top for me. Okay. Shan, to you. Uh, Mahendra in London, is UPS a buy at the current price? Yes, I, I think it is. Uh, we bought the stock back in March, and although we've certainly benefited from, I think, the you know, COVID-19 online shopping trend, uh, online ordering is here to stay. And they're looking to endeavor to increase their brand profile and replace some of FedEx business and be able to really continue their role as the leading package uh, deliverer in the, in the world. And so I think there's continued upside here in the yeah. stock. Quickly, uh, Josh, just on since we're talking about transports, right, it's not just UPS and, and FedEx and things like that. Transports are at new all-time highs today. Uh, they, sure, they sure are, and that's getting zero help from the airlines. So it, probably the strength <laughs> of the non-airline transports, if anything, is being understated. The rails. The, I mean, the rails have pricing power. People are, people are like buying dishwashers and cars and the, the rails actually have something to say uh, about what their, their shipping rates are. And that is, uh, that, that's, a, that's a good thing for the economy when pricing power returns to things like transport. So um, I think that's a sign of how strong business is. Okay, Jethro, uh, to you from Mali in Connecticut. What are your thoughts on Cloudflare? Uh, we continue to like Cloudflare. Uh, we're in an environment where there's a, an increasing uh, scarcity of growth and a pretty dubious economy. So we think it should stay um, uh, own names that are geared to some of these long-term secular tailwinds. Uh, and Cloudflare's place, uh, case in particular, um, it's a web infrastructure company that has high exposure to some of these secular tailwinds of cloud security, uh, internet content delivery, delivery, and firewall protection. So. Uh, the stock's had a nice run, so we would be a sort of accumulating on dips, but we think it's a, a good long-term holding. Okay. Uh, Josh, I got one more for you uh, from Angie. Uh, what's a good entry point for Unity Software? So this is tough because the stock's only been trading for like two weeks, uh, so the, you can't really look at a chart. Um, so I would say if you want to be an investor in it, just buy it. Um, I'm, I'm long the stock, but I own it uh, from a venture uh, position, so I own it pre-IPO. I have no plans to do anything with it. Uh, I want to be invested in this for the long term. Um, video games, uh, it's just so, the, the growth in video games this year and what's coming in, in, uh, in the Christmas season, I think these stocks will all do well. And Unity is the only name I own in this space. Okay, good stuff. Keep your questions coming too. We'll play them on the air. Send them to askhalftime at cnbc.com. We have more trades straight ahead with the committee. And as we go to break, a check on some of the other stocks hitting all-time highs today. There's P&G, United Health, and Nike. We're back after this. Welcome back. Time for the futures outlook. The 10-year dipping lower today. One trader, though, positioning himself for rising yields, Bill Baruch. What is the trade? This is one of the biggest stories in the market, for sure. 
the direction of rates which have been moving higher? I think it's a crowded sentiment that that rates can't go higher from here. And that's one of the reasons why I'm starting to get bullish on rates. I'm, I'm selling treasuries. Ultimately, inflation is starting to show up. PCE numbers last week, 1.6%, moving closer to that Fed's 2.0%. But we're also looking at massive stimulus. You look historically, QE1, QE2, and QE3 top ticked the Treasury markets, bottomed out rates. So I think we're seeing something similar there. And then after elections, 2008, 2012, and 2016, very similar patterns, top tick Treasuries bottomed out rates. So once we get through this election, massive printing, massive supply in the Treasury market, more debt. I think we're going to start to see rates rise, Treasuries go lower. So how am I playing it? Listen, I want to position in the December futures contract, sell right here, 138 and 138.24, 138.27, whatever you can get. Stop above that pandemic high, 140.24, risking $2,000. Target to the downside, one. 34.24. That's sort of where we were in 2016. Uh, I want to see that be tested. $4,000 is the risk reward. I plan on trading around this trade over the next several months. I think it's going to be a big winner. All right. Good stuff, Bill. Thank you. That's Bill Baruch. Final trades coming up next. Miss the show? Don't sweat it. The Halftime Report now has a podcast. Market-moving interviews, call of the day, unusual activity, and, of course, Ask Halftime. Look for us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app and subscribe to the Halftime Pod today. Welcome back. We'll get to final trades in just a moment. John, though, first, tell me about Peloton, the calls you had that you don't anymore. All right, Scott. Peloton, uh, we had unusual option activity in this one on Tuesday. We talked about it with you, and the stock popped all the way through 118 a share. Since it was short-term options, Scott, we took that off. That was a gift. And uh, by the way, Father Lorenz and Mike, thank you for saying hi to me when we were out together the other night. Bang. <laughs> Good stuff. Up 35% our shares of Peloton over one month. We're looking uh, there at the bottom of our screen. You can see that performance. All right, let's do final trades. Ladies first. Shan? Uh, L3 Harris, LHX. We bought this one earlier in the year. On the cutting edge of military technology, should see strong margin growth. And we believe this is a great way to play the industrial space going into next year. Okay, we'll go to the top of our list now. Uh, Josh, Invitation Homes, I'm assuming that's you, right? Yeah, I bought some more yesterday. They just down announced a major deal with a private equity firm that's going to provide them with additional capital. They continue to buy new homes to bring into their network, and I love the business model. Dividend income plus growth. Yeah, a space that's just been red hot, um, and that's been a good winner for you. Up oh, yeah. 2% uh, right there as you add more to that. Jethro, thanks for being with us today. What's your final trade? Uh, Avaya Holdings in a small cap space. It's a cloud communications player. Uh, they have a partnership with Ring Central that's accelerating the growth profile, AVYA. Right. Good stuff. We will see you soon. John Nigerian, last but not least, what do you got? JD Scott, we bought that during the show today. Upside calls. All right. Good stuff. Love that. Thanks for watching. See you all tomorrow. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.